Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. And as you are opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to share this with you. How many of us, or let me ask you a question here as, as we all open our Bibles. How many of you here want greater faith? Show of hands. How many want greater faith? I think many of us want greater faith. And as we, uh, as we read today, we're going to see the components of great faith today. Things that we will learn, things that we will pray for, and things that we hopefully will walk in. We're going to meet a woman, a woman that's going to reveal the truth about great faith. So much that as she displays her great faith, that Jesus actually acknowledges this great faith. He actually calls her on this great faith. You know, let's quickly look at faith. What is faith? You know, I've shared this several times lately, and I believe that the Lord is teaching us as a church body more about faith so that we can walk in greater faith. I'm going to give you the scriptural definition and then I'll, I'll just go ahead and uh, ex- uh, just give you a, uh, a simple meaning of it. Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives us the biblical definition and, and it's this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In simple words, faith is conviction and confidence. What is conviction? Conviction is firm belief. Confidence that God can and that God will. Faith is confidence and conviction that God can and that God will. So as we look at this, right, as we talk about faith, God is asking us to have greater faith, to have this confidence and conviction that He can and that He will. But let me ask you a question. What happens when God doesn't respond or God does not answer immediately? What do we do? Do we give up? Do you just say, oh, well, you know what? I guess it wasn't God's will. I want to share this with you. This is what God, through this woman's faith, will teach us. It's going to speak on this very subject. See, the title of today's message is Great Faith. And so we're going to look at this. Let's read here in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21, and and allow the Lord just to speak to us on great faith and to teach us great faith. Verse 21 says this, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he, he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. 
And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. You know, as we look at this, right, as we look at the account of this woman, this Canaanite woman, as I mentioned to you, Jesus even called her out on her great faith. You know, as we look at this, right, I mean, there's many things, and as we go through it, as we expound on it, Jesus is going to show us the components of great faith. And so let's read verse 21. It says this, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. You know, as we get here, right, let me remind you of what we talked about last week, just briefly. Remember the religious people? The religious people were the Pharisees and the scribes. They were bent out of shape because the disciples, remember the disciples were not keeping the Mishnah. And for those of you, you remember what the Mishnah is? It was the oral law, remember? The tradition that Jesus gave Moses. And so they were saying, you know what? Your disciples are not keeping the oral law. They're not keeping the tradition. And so as we talked about last week, we know that their hearts were all messed up. And so after Jesus expounds and teaches about the heart, this is where we come to. It tells us that Jesus went out from where He was. He was in the region of Galilee. And so what He does is He goes into the region of Tyre, of Tyre and Sidon. I want you to know this was a Gentile re- region. This was not even a Jewish region. This was outside of the boundaries of the Jews. So Jesus goes into the Gentile region. Imagine that. This is one of the only accounts that we hear of, which we don't know if Jesus you know, did go outside, apart from this, in the Scriptures, this is the only time that we see Jesus going out of the Jewish region. And so here in verse 22, we have this woman. It says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to Him, saying, Have mercy on me. She goes on to say, O Lord, Son of God, My daughter is severely demon-possessed. You know, Matthew, immediately, what does he tell us? He says, Behold a woman. I want you to know, this is that woman of great faith. But Matthew introduces her with the verb, Behold. I want to give you some insight here. Whenever you see the word, Behold, it tells us that there is an impressive, remarkable person that is coming. How many of you have heard the phrase, Behold the King? Why? Because what? He's a remarkable, impressive person, right? Well, that's the same thing here. Matthew wants us to know, this woman is impressive. He doesn't immediately tell us why, and he will tell us in the next verses. But he wants us to know that there is an impressive woman at hand. And we see here, right, that here in this verse, in verse 22, it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. So we see here that she is not a Jew. She's actually a Gentile. Matthew tells us that she's a woman of Canaan. She's a Canaanite. 
Remember Joshua and the Israelites when they went into the promised land? What did God do? God instructed them to wipe out these people, right? And in their failure to do so, we have this woman that descended from these people. And then we are told that as this woman comes, she sees Jesus and she cries out to Him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. She immediately cries out when she sees Jesus. When you see the word crying out, it means that she was shouting. That's what it means. So she was shouting. She was shouting, You know what? Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. She wasn't just, you know what, in a gentle, quiet voice saying, Have mercy on me, Son of David. She was saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. She was screaming, My daughter is severely demon-possessed. She had a great need. See, I want to give you now the points of great faith. And the first point that I'm going to talk about is this. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And these are the components. I want you to understand. I mean, they're so simply put here. And as I pray that the Lord would just give you these so that you can now allow these to just dwell within your heart and to take deep root. But when you have issues, when you have problems, when you have the trials, when you have the storms, who do you go to? See, what we're learning from this woman, the person of faith will immediately go to Jesus. See, the woman, when she saw Jesus, she immediately went to Him. Who do we cry out to? Think about that. Who do we call? Are we calling mom and dad? Are we calling our kids? You know, are we calling our pastor? Are we calling other brothers and sisters in the Lord? See, a person of great faith will immediately come to Jesus. See, this is the first step of having great faith. She immediately goes to Jesus and she cries out. And she immediately presents her problem. She didn't waste any time. I love it, right? She didn't waste any time. She just, you know what? She just told them what the issue was. I love this because, see, this is what Jesus is teaching us. You know what? When you have a deep need, you immediately come to me and you could immediately tell me what your problem is. Don't waste time. See, because if you believe that He can and that He will, then you will have no problems coming, with, coming to Him. And she immediately says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. I want you to understand this, because remember, this woman is a Gentile. She's a Canaanite. But she calls them by a Jewish term. Her address of Jesus was not the way a Gentile should address. Son of David. A Jewish term. So, we're giving that insight, right? As We're told that she's from Canaanite, but then she, we are told that she addressed them with a Jewish term. It's like someone addressing me. If someone came to me and said, Father Tony, I would immediately know that they're either not a Christian or they're very what? New in the faith. Right? Because a Christian person would address me as what? Pastor Tony. 
They would never call me Father Tony. And so we see this here, right? This is what I want you to understand. This is why she is not part of the nation, but she's addressing him as if she is. As a Gentile, she must have been aware of Jesus. Let's think about this, right? Someone must have scolded her as to who Jesus was. Otherwise, why would she call him, O Lord, Son of David? So we know that she must have had great interest in Jesus. She must have heard about Jesus. And she must have inquired about Jesus. And somebody must have taught her about Jesus. But she knew one thing, that what he did, he did miracles. And she believed it by faith. And so immediately, what does she ask for? She asked for mercy. Right? That's the first thing out of her mouth was mercy. When we think about mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is receiving help and kindness from someone when circumstances are beyond your control, right? You're asking for help, you're asking for kindness from someone when your circumstances are beyond your control. What was beyond her control? Her daughter is severely demon-possessed. Let's think about this. She's not just saying she's demon-possessed. She is saying that her daughter is severely demon-possessed. And she can't help her daughter. I'm going to share this with you. Just a few months back, I received a call from someone in our church saying that, you know what, I... I need you to visit somebody. I need you to go visit somebody that is demon-possessed. And I said, you know what? That's not a problem. What's her number? And so I gave her a call and she didn't answer. And then she called me back and then she couldn't speak to me and she had somebody else speak to me. And so I went to visit the girl and it turns out that she wasn't demon-possessed, but she was severely oppressed. What's the difference between demon-possession and demon-oppression? Possession means that you are controlled by a demon. It means that he's controlling you. Oppression means that the demons are distressing you. There's a difference. In other words, a possession is controlling you, and the oppression means that they're distressing you. They're causing you pain and sorrow. And this was real. When I went to go visit the girl, I went with my wife. And the demons that were oppressing her made her believe that she was an old lady with no teeth. And that they were asking her to kill herself. And just so you know, this woman was in her early 30s. She had all her teeth. But when we asked her to look in the mirror to verify and validate what she was saying, she says, I'm old. Look at me, I'm old. And I have no more teeth. And then she started telling us the things that the demons were telling her. She wasn't possessed. She wasn't controlled by the demon. She was believing the lies that were causing her distress. I want you to understand that both possession and oppression are real. I have dealt with both of them. And I've seen 
how the enemy just destroys and seeks to rob and kill. It is real, believe me. But let me give you this. Can a Christian ever be demon-possessed? A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Why do I tell you this? Read 2 Corinthians 6.14-16. through 2 Corinthians 6.14-16 through 16 tells us that light and darkness cannot dwell together. What does Christ and Belial have to do with one another? Understand. It can't happen. Now some may say, well, I thought, you know what, this person claims to be a Christian. What did we learn last week? Not everyone that claims to be a Christian is a Christian, right? So when you see somebody that claims to be a Christian or you thought was a Christian that was demon-possessed, you know what? The heart was never given to the Lord. They never believed in God by faith. Because it, they cannot dwell together. So this woman, back to the story, right? Back to the event here. She comes to Jesus with a deep need. She is going through a heavy trial and we know that as the Bible tells us, it's beyond her control. How many of you have children that are sick? Raise a hand. There's a few of you that have children that are sick. What do you do for your children that are sick? You'd do anything, wouldn't you? To get them healed. You know, I have children and when I've seen them sick, you're desperate. You're willing to do whatever you can to bring healing upon your kids. See, this woman wanted her daughter healed. She knew that she couldn't help them, but she knew that there was someone who was able and someone who could. And so what does she do? She immediately shouts. She immediately sees Jesus and she shouts for help. You know what's so amazing about this? And I love this, right? Because this woman, she knew that Jesus had power over demons. She knew that Jesus had power over demons. That You know what? That, that Jesus can cast them out. That Jesus can tell them what to do. That, that Jesus can do whatever He wants with demons. We know that demons do well. When they saw Jesus, they would fall to the floor. They would ask Him, please leave us alone. See, when I see this, right... This woman had great faith just in that, knowing that she knew that Jesus had power over demons. See, this should bring us much comfort, knowing that, you know what, that Jesus is, is more powerful than the demons. Remember one thing about demons, they're created, right? He's the creator. He's the one that created them. We know that sin fell in their hearts and they rebelled about, against Jesus. And it was led by Satan himself. But again, Jesus has control and power over demons. As we read here in verse 23, it says, But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. The first thing we're told here is that 
Jesus did not answer her a word. When you look at this, right, when we read this, it's as if Jesus is ignoring her. How many of you would think that Jesus is ignoring her? I think we all would agree that because that's what the, the Bible immediately tells us here. I want you to understand this, that He is not. Believe me that Jesus is not ignoring this woman. Jesus is hearing every word from her lips. He knows exactly what she's going through. He knows what her daughter, what demon is possessing her daughter, whether it's one or, or more. But I want you to understand what Jesus was doing here. He was drawing out the great faith that she had. See, it was not only for her sake, but it's also for our sake to teach us, to learn from her. Which leads me to my second point. And the second point is this. Have faith even when He does not answer. Have faith even when He does not answer. Remember, we're talking about great faith, the, com- the components of great faith. Have faith even when He does not answer. See, if we are to be a people that believe that He can and that He will, we are to have confidence and conviction, firm belief, even when Jesus does not answer. Just because He does not answer when we want Him to doesn't mean that He will not answer. Remember this, if Jesus is not answering, it doesn't mean that He won't. See, what we see from this woman is that she came to Jesus asking Him for help. But He stayed silent. See, when we pray and ask Jesus for help, does He always hear our prayers? I'm going to share this with you. I want to give you insight here because see, there's things that we also got to get in line in order for Jesus to answer our prayers. I'm going to give you quickly seven reasons when God will not answer your prayers. And the first one comes to us from James chapter 1, verse 6 and 8. It's when you doubt. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, right? For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, Jesus says there, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So when you are doubting, guess what? Jesus isn't going to answer your prayers. The second reason why Jesus doesn't answer is because you never ask, right? When you have a need. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, You do not have because what? You do not ask. When you neglect to ask, when we're going to everyone else aside from Jesus, and fail to ask God, of course, your needs aren't going to be answered. The third reason why Jesus doesn't answer your prayers is because your motives are wrong. James chapter 4 verse 3 tells us, you don't have because your motives are wrong. 
See, your motives are for fun and for pleasure rather than true needs. The fourth reason why Jesus won't answer prayers comes from Psalm 66, verse 18. When you have unconfessed sin in your life. Unconfessed sin. Look at what it says there. If I regard inequity in my heart, the Lord what? Will not hear. So when you have unconfessed sin, remember that. If you have sin that you haven't confessed to the Lord, it's time to confess so that the Lord can hear your request. I love this one too. Many think, you know what, but you know what, I, I don't think I have inequity or sin, but yet you see yourself not being obedient to the Lord. Did you know that when you ignore the Scriptures, God doesn't like or hear your prayers? Proverbs 28, verse 9. When you refuse, when you ignore the Scriptures, when you aren't obedient, when you've been taught something and yet you don't obey what the Lord is saying. Another reason, reason number six, when there's unforgiveness. Mark 11.25, when you pray and have unforgiveness, you must forgive to be forgiven. And then the seventh one. How many of you are husbands here? Raise hands. Husbands. This is directly for all of you. When you don't deal with your wife in understanding. How many of you have heard, you never understand me. You don't understand me, right? How many wives have told their husbands that? Most wives have told their husbands, you just don't understand me. And man, if you are practicing this, not understanding your wives, look at what it says. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. If you're not dealing with, uh, dwelling with your wives in understanding, then guess what? Your prayers are hindered. So if God isn't listening or answering your prayers, I should say, check yourselves on these. And when you, in fact, correct these, then you know one thing, that God is listening. As we see here, right? The things that are in God's will, God will always answer in His timing. But it's not always in your timing. See, one thing that this woman knew is she knew Jesus can heal, but He was going to do it in His timing. She was ignored. And let's keep, as we see here, right? In, in this verse, it says that, the, that He answered her not, but then the disciples came and urged Jesus, saying, Send her away, for she's shouting after us. I'm going to give you the third point here. Have faith, even when others do not. Have faith, even when others do not. See, you will hear voices. You will have people telling you, you know what? Give up your faith. You know what? God isn't going to answer that prayer. Don't stop. See, the disciples here are telling Jesus, send her away. And she's hearing it. 
We don't stop. See, you and I will have people telling us that Jesus isn't here in our prayers anymore. And you will also have an enemy, the enemy of your soul, that tells you lies. That tells you that Jesus can't do it. That tells you that Jesus is unable. That Jesus isn't willing. Don't listen to these lies. You keep believing. Remember, we're talking about the components of great faith. Verse 24 tells us, But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus finally responds. And guess what? The news is not good. He tells the woman, he says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, I was sent to the Jews who are lost. Understand this. As she hears these words, it's as if Jesus is insensitive to her, right? I'm going to share this with you. It's not insensitivity. It is provoking her faith. How many of you have played sports in high school or in college? For those that have played high school, I mean have played sports in college or high school or even grammar school, how many of you, when you lack commitment, when you were, you know what, when you were just at a point where you weren't just giving it your very all, you saw yourself growing weak and you had a coach who kept telling you, you know what, you're weak, you're not committed, you need to be faithful. You're not going to make the team unless you what? Unless you have commitment. What was he doing there? He was provoking you, right? To keep going. The same thing with Jesus. Right now, he was, he was just provoking her, right? He was provoking her faith. He wanted her faith to move into action. Jesus wasn't playing games with her. He was just promo- provoking her faith. He wanted it to move into action so that we can learn from this. But let's talk about the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, Jesus says that, you know what, I came to the lost sheep of Israel. How many of us know that Jesus came for everyone, right? We all know that. John 3.16, right? He came to die for the sins of of the whole world. See, Jesus didn't just come to die for the Jews, but He died for everyone. And whoever believes will receive eternal life. Not just the Jews, but it's everyone. Whoever believes. But no one thing about Jesus is that He had a timetable. His timetable at the moment was for the Jews. He always had the Gentiles in mind. He always knew that He came for them too. But this was a mystery, right? No one knew that He was also coming for the Gentiles. But even though He said it in the Scriptures, they couldn't see it. Look at what it says in Isaiah 49, verse 6. Indeed, He says, God, the Lord, it is too small a thing that you should be My servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the Lord. He was going to be a light to the Gentiles. 
that salvation was going to come through him to the ends of the earth. Jesus always had the Gentiles in mind. But when he came in the flesh, he came for the Jews to reveal himself to the lost sheep of Israel. And understand one thing as we see here. Jesus would never turn away anyone who came to him by faith. Check in point, this woman of Canaan. But isn't that sad as we look at both people, right? The Canaanites, the Gentiles believing. Yet the Jews not believing. You know, you think to yourself, how can that be? They're blinded. Just like many today are blinded, right? How many people refuse the Lord? They refuse to see Him as their Messiah? We see this growing in this nation that there is a godless nation that is just increasing and it's just becoming worse. But that's the way people are. They're blinded by the devil. They're blinded because of their flesh, of their sin. As we go on to verse 25, it says this, Then she came and worshipped Him, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. What's her next step? Remember, she is going through a major storm. She's going through a major trial. What does she do? She worships the Lord. How many of you can still come to the Lord when you're going through a trial and God has an answer to you? He hasn't, you know what? It appears that He's ignoring you. You think that He's rejecting you. Can you still worship the Lord? Remember, we're talking about the components of great faith. This woman is still worshiping the Lord even though the Lord has ignored her. And even though the Lord is telling her, you know what, I didn't come for you. She still worships the Lord. See, we know that there are many when tribulation hits. How many of you know of people that received the Word and they made the statement of faith and all of a sudden persecution and tribulation comes and what happens? They walk away. There's people like this. This happens every day when people, when some people come to know Jesus, they're like, yeah, this is the answer that I needed. I know that I need Jesus. My life is a mess. And then all of a sudden they go home, their wife gets upset, their parents get mad, and they never return back to church. It happens. But one thing that we know is that this woman, she is persistent. If you want to know a component of great faith, it's persistent faith. That's my fourth point. Persistent faith. This woman believed no matter the circumstances that God can and that God will. She was firm in her faith. Look at what Hebrews 11 verse 6 says. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Do you think this woman was diligent in her seeking the Lord? Absolutely. Was anything going to stop her or turn her away? Absolutely not. Nothing stopped this woman's faith. What is stopping your faith? What's stopping my faith? What's stopping our faith? Do we lack faith? Do we give up when things get hard? 
Are we listening to the enemy? Are we listening to his lies? Are we listening to others? Are you doubting yourself? God is showing us to remain firm in our faith. And as he said there in Hebrews 11.6, he said that faith would be rewarded. Faith would be rewarded. See, when we believe that Jesus is able and that Jesus can, then we're going to keep going. This woman is showing us that she's not giving up. Why do we give up? I'm going to show you a principle, and Jesus himself taught this principle. And it's in Luke chapter 11, verse 5. I'm going to read it to you. And he said to them, Which of you have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. In other words, what he is saying is that in his mind, in his heart, he's saying, Leave me alone. You know, my friend that's knocking on the door, I ain't going to answer that door. You know what? I'm cozy in bed. The door's shut. My children are in bed. I'm in my blankets. I ain't getting up. I'm staying quiet. There's no way I'm answering that door. But look at what Jesus goes on to say. I say to you, though, he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, right? He wasn't getting up. Oh, my friend is there. I'm immediately getting up and opening that door. He's not getting up because he's his friend. Yet, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. This is an amazing principle for us to keep asking, seeking, and knocking. And if you believe that God can and God will and you're not hindered by those seven reasons why God doesn't answer prayer, understand this, God will open the door and God will answer your need. What is the principle? It's persistence. We don't quit. We don't give up. This woman, in this verse, look at what she says. She said, Lord, help me. She says, you know what, I'm not using that Jewish term. God knows I'm not a Jew. The Lord knows. But she says, Lord. You know what Lord means? It means Master. She was acknowledging Jesus as her Master. With desperation, she says, you're my Master and I need your help. She knew that He was the only one that could help her. She knew that Jesus can and that He would. And let's finish with these two verses. It says, But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Remember, Jesus is drawing out her faith. He once again tells her, I came to the house of Israel. How can I take their bread and give it to the little dogs? When you hear this, it sounds like Jesus is belittling her, right? He's calling her a little dog. How many of us would like to be called little dogs? It's not a nice term, right? In case you didn't know, the Jews looked at the Gentiles as dogs. 
But they didn't look at the Gentiles as little dogs because they also had house pets. They looked at Gentiles as the stray dogs on the streets. That's the way they looked at them, like the stray dogs on the streets. I'm going to share something with you. All of you know I love Mexico, right? That's why, you know what, I had compassion and the Lord moved me to, to begin the work over there in Mexico. But one thing about Mexico is they have the ugliest stray dogs in the world, don't they? For those, How many of you have been to Mexico? For those of you that haven't been to Mexico, believe me, they have the ugliest stray dogs in the world. More, but you know what, as we talk about dogs, how many of you have little pets? How many of you have little dogs at home? Your little dogs have become a part of the family, haven't they? Especially those that are living indoor with you, right? They become a part of the family. You love them, but never love them more than your children. Because there are some that do. I just want to remind you of that. But the term that Jesus uses here is that of a house pet. He's not using a derogatory term like those that I mentioned of, of Mexico. Jesus was referring to the pets that you love. That's what he was talking about here. And that's why she took no offense. She, she knew that. She says, Lord, Master, even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. How many of you, and this happens in my family, I don't have a little dog, I have a big old English bulldog. And I see the kids, they're always telling me, you know what dad, just leave the crumbs fall on the, let the crumbs fall on the table. And then comes Maybelline, that's her name. And she's eating all the crumbs, right? And for those of you that have seen her, I mean she's a big, muscular dog. She comes and she eats all the, the crumbs. See, this is what Jesus was saying. You know what? He was so amazed at what she responded. I came to give bread to the house of Israel. She says, but I'm a little dog. I'll take the crumbs from the, t- from the bread that falls off the table. Man, her faith was just amazing. And this is exactly what Jesus is drawing out. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says, And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. She lets uh, this woman know that her faith was great. Jesus wanted us to learn the components of great faith. Understand this, she didn't let her silence discourage her. She didn't let others distract her. She didn't let his response bring doubt to her. She persevered in her faith and her patience paid off. I'm going to give you the fifth and final point. It is patient faith. Patient faith. She was patient all the way through. This is what you call weight training. 
she didn't give up. No matter what came against her, even if she thought God wasn't listening, her faith remained and it was patient. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the what? The promises. Diligence, persistence, never giving up, as he says, not becoming sluggish, but with faith and patience they receive the promise. How many are lacking patience? How many of you are lacking perseverance? How many of you are lacking, lacking faith? And remember the key to all of this. God said, when you have great faith, God rewards it. Quickly, there was one other man that Jesus also said, you have great faith. I have not seen greater faith in you as I have seen in all of Israel. Any of you remember who that man was? Once, well, somebody said it. The Roman centurion. Did you know that he was also a Gentile? Imagine that. Gentiles exercising greater faith than God's own people. That should encourage us. You've heard the components of great faith. You've seen it illustrated to you. Let us now walk in it. I'm going to give you a quote from George Mueller. Remember George Mueller? This man had an orphanage. This man was an amazing man of faith. He would pray and say, you know what? I don't have food to feed, but God's going to what? God's going to provide. Look at what he said. The only way to learn strong faith, talking about this great faith, the only way to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. That's what we're talking about here. Trials. That's the only way to learn it. This woman learned it. This woman walked in it. How many of us, as we see this, have a long way to go. Understand, we have the components. You and I cannot walk in them. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, for the things that You're teaching us. Lord, we want to have great faith. Every single one of us that is here desires great faith. We want to have greater faith than we have today. Lord, may the words that we hear, may they truly be rooted and grounded within our hearts. Lord, may we be a church, a body of believers that walk with great faith. No matter what's before us, no matter what's against us, may we believe that you can and that you will. If there's anyone here, maybe, maybe your faith is, is not even in the Lord. 
Maybe the Lord is speaking to you and maybe you desire to have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to give you this opportunity to do it now. If this is you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Anybody wanting this? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord, you saw these hands that went up. They desire, Lord, to be cleansed. They desire that your, their feet would be washed as they rededicate their lives to you, Lord. May they walk in obedience. May they walk in love. And may they walk by faith. In Jesus' name. And I know one thing, one final thing. Every single one of you earlier raised your hand that you wanted greater faith. I'm going to say a quick prayer for all of you, including myself. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example that you gave us through this woman, the components of great faith. I pray for every single one of us that we would walk in great faith. Lord, we thank you. We praise you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.